Hello, it's Shahid and welcome back to a Creative Floor bonus podcast. Uh, just a quick update while I have your ears. Next Thursday, 21st September is our 2023 award show in London. Congratulations to all the finalists and anyone who managed to get hold of a ticket. We are officially sold out. Uh, if you still want to come, uh, please just email us at awards at and we'll put you on a reserve list. Um, yep, yeah, congrats uh, to everyone again. We will be celebrating our 10th year anniversary. Uh, we have brand new limited edition awards um, only available to winners this year. So that's kind of exciting. We'll also be launching our working from home candle range. We've been painstakingly developing these over the past year. We have four wellness scents with some of the world's best artisans creating them. Each scent is meant to help with moments in your day. So for example, the first scent is called Sans Bullshit. It's meant to help you dealing with BS on your team's calls. Main base center there is something called Paolo Santo, which helps cleanse rooms and mind. Really does work, believe it or not. Second scent we've got is called Out of Office. Main base scent in there is Hand Rolled Cannabis Flower. Really self-explanatory, that one. Third one is called Pitch Win. It's made from Kainam Oud and the world's most expensive oils. It really is the smell of success. It's almost like burning money, but kind of nicer. And the fourth one is called the All Nighter. We've captured uh, Bangkok nightlife. Uh, lemongrass, lemon caviar, just some incredible um, and really expensive scents in there that will literally awaken every sense in your body. All handmade in the UK, uh, all hand poured. They're made from the most natural ingredients, zero chemicals. A tree is planted for every sale. Um, these couldn't be of higher quality. Yeah, they are incredible <laughs> and they're going to be featuring for the first time at our show only limited edition uh, amount that are made. So once they're gone, they're gone. So do not miss out on those. And all profits will go to our Talent and Diversity Fund. If you're unable to come along to the award show, you can follow all the results and pictures, no doubt. If you follow us on X or Twitter, the hashtag we'll be using is hashtag TCF Awards. So anyway, yes, looking forward to seeing many, many of you there. Right, on to the episode. So we're doing um, something a little bit different today. We're doing a review on a brand new book that's just come out called The Ultimate Guide to Digital Engagement in Pharma by Faisal Ahmed and Tim Sparks. This book genuinely should be on everyone's reading list, um, hence why we're doing this podcast. I guess if you're a creative or anyone really in an agency and you think your briefs could be much better, more focused, much, much better insights. And I guess if you want to cut through and understand all the kind of ping pong jargon that kind of goes on, this book is for you. We also recorded this uh, via video and that will be out on LinkedIn soon. So please do check that out if uh, you want to watch watch the authors talk about it rather than just hear them talk about it. Links are in the show notes about where to buy the book and they've also got a Spotify playlist that accompanies certain chapters of the book as well which is kind of cool yeah so if you have anything that you'd like to talk about please do get in touch we'll be launching uh season six of our podcast in the new year so always very excited to talk to 
people who are passionate about sharing uh, new projects or new work or anything fun, really, as you know. So anyway, I'm going to stop talking. It's been a while. I've missed you. What can I say? Yeah, on to the episode. Let us know what you think. And uh, yeah, enjoy. Welcome. It's Shahid here. Welcome to another Creative Floor podcast and videocast uh, for the first time. It's a bit of a bonus episode for us. Our season officially kind of ended around about April time, but some friends of ours got in touch the other day and say, hey, we've just written a book. Could you share it on LinkedIn? I was like, well, you're a little bit better. We're a community platform. So I thought, why don't we do a little bit of a book review? Um, I don't read as many books as I really should be reading. And I read this. I thought this is really pretty good. So let's do a little bit of a deeper dive rather than me just sharing something on LinkedIn. And let's get behind why this book hopefully will be really valuable to people listening to this, especially creators. But anyway, before we get into this book, let's say hello to the co-authors of this brilliant book. So I'm just going to say hello to you and you can do your own introduction because there's no way I'm going to be doing it as much justice as yourself. So hello, Tim. Yeah, hello there. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, So my name is Tim Spark. I've been uh, working in technology and communications for around 25 years now. And I started in technology and marketing sort of back in the day with Yamaha Music and then Apple. And then I moved into the weird and wonderful world of advertising and marketing. And I was brought into a digital agency to uh, help clients understand emerging channels and what to do about them. And this was back when MySpace was a thing. So we'd say he's probably on MySpace or uh, Bebo or whatever it happened to be at the time. And effectively, it was sort of teaching clients in a very hands-on way what their consumers were doing with these new platforms and why they were so compelling and why they shouldn't necessarily invest all their budgets in TV and radio as they traditionally did. And then about 12 years ago, um, I set up, I went on my own, I set up a, a digital training company. And then I met Matt Wells, who's my now business partner. And Matt was running a digital talent company and he was doing digital talent finding brilliant people to help organizations improve their capabilities i was running training programs helping organizations spot the opportunities and act on them and we thought it was a bit nuts that these things were done in isolation and we thought a more holistic view um, of approaching sort of capabilities and building skills within businesses seems like a good idea um Traditionally, like when new things happen, businesses tend to sort of three approaches you have. You get the management consultants in, they come and tell you what to do. They don't necessarily help you do it. Or you get a new head of this department. So you might get head of digital, head of social, head of mobile, head of innovation, head of gen AI, whatever it happens to be. Or you run some training. So you run some mobile or social or training or anything like that. And basically, we thought if you had a more joined up approach to the two of them, that was a better way to work. So we help with recruitment, we help with retention, we help with reskilling teams, and we help with teams working out how they can rework, how they can improve the way they work together. And I run the L&D side of the business, so I run the capability side of the business, which is effectively helping generally marketing teams and commercial teams understand the opportunities, what emerging channels mean for their consumers, and how they need to adapt and what skills and what behaviors they need to adopt to uh, address those. And I'm a terrible generalist, so I know a very small amount about lots of different things. So when we won our first pharmaceutical client, we called Faisal. Uh, and Faisal obviously has really good experience in those areas. Faisal, over to you. <laughs> it's really interesting. So 
I've been on creative, so on Faisal Ahmed, I've been on creative floor quite a few times now. I sort of used to work with Shahid many moons ago. Um, my background is I've worked at startups in football, in sports, in uh, retail, uh, in computer games, and then pharma probably last 12 years now um, in various positions. Awesome. I think um, anyone who remembers uh, MySpace is feeling very old right now. <laughs> uh, I certainly am. And yeah, thank you. That was a very comprehensive intro. I told you there's no way I'd be able to do it justice. So thank you. So let's get into this. So you've both co-authored a book called The Ultimate Guide in Digital Engagement in Pharma. So it's got a bit of a Ron Seal title to it. It sort of says what it does on the tin. Um, I was just saying before we hit the record button, I read this yesterday in the garden. It's really, really good. I've got to say, like, it's absolutely fantastic. So I'd love to just get behind the book a little bit about uh, some of the key chapters that I found particularly interesting. We won't give too much away, otherwise there's absolutely zero point in buying the book. But um, we'll, we'll, of course, tease it. So the first question for you is, why did you do it? So for me, um, it was something that I'd learned. So we are traditionally, traditionally, the capability building that we do was with big FMCG clients like Unilever and Coca-Cola and Bayer. Um, so with some healthcare ideas, but also sort of more technology-led businesses like Google and Vodafone and people like that. And and so this is sort of a taking marketers with classic marketing skills and improving their sort of digital capabilities. And then when we started working with pharma, there was this, no one understands us, we're very different, you, you need to, we're a unique and wonderful snowflake that, you know, only certain people understand. What, what Pfizer and I sort of found through, um, we created this sort of digital boot camp for one of our clients, which was this 12-month rolling program of two-day workshops with sort of coaching sessions after each workshop where we basically sort of they took the knowledge they developed in the workshop and then applied it on specific business issues and we sort of coached them through that process but what's really interesting is the similarities that we saw between you know fmcg marketers and what's happening in pharma and of course in pharma everyone thinks we're really rational and you know with doctors and scientists the only way to persuade them is through facts and figures and long charts with stats and things like that and actually, you know, a lot of the outputs that we were getting from the workshops, which were, I need to go back to my consumer. I just need to understand them better. Like, what are their behaviors? What motivates them? Why do they behave in specific ways? Which is marketing 101. There's nothing new about that. And then, you know, we need to be more collaborative. We need to work across different departments. We need to be more experimental. All of those classic sort of work, workshop outcomes and ambitions. And we just thought there's a lot that we've learned from traditional marketing teams that you can actually apply in pharma. And obviously there are specifics around compliance and governments and regulatory issues that are quite sort of unique. And we've got issues when it comes to adverse event reporting. But beyond that, there's so many similar areas. And I thought that sort of uh, distilling what we'd learned in sort of big brand advertising and bring it into um, a pharma specific situation might be quite useful for people so that was kind of that's where we came from and as you said you read it in a day it's very concise so it's it's a brief book which which is i think quite a useful thing uh, in this day and age we've tried to make it sort of very simply designed in terms of it's quite visual each chapter ends with a sort of 
you know, reading list, listening list, watching list, and a couple of tools to try. So we, you know, we very much believe in sort of learning should be quite hands-on experience. Just get your hands dirty, get quite close to some of these projects, and then that's the best way of learning. You can't sort of parachute in these theories from on high and suddenly understand how to do them. It's when the rubber hits the road, when you start practicing on these things, then it starts to make a bit of a difference. Yeah, and just, I mean, just to add to that as well, I think a lot of, if you look at, in pharma, we talk about, and everyone's talked about omnichannel, everyone's talked about multi-channel, everyone's talked about digital for years, right? And I think millions and probably billions have been spent, and we go straight to, let's do something really sexy, or let's do something innovative, like an AR at a congress, and that's it. But what we do, what we have forgotten is the fundamentals. So everyone's just gone straight to getting the marketing managers or the brand teams or various teams to basically do digital, but without the education. And, and, And the book just explains it in a simple way, right? And it's not hard. It's like thinking about the user habits, thinking about the customer, and then just working backwards. Yeah, you know, and you said it, Tim, earlier, it's like it's basics 101 of marketing, like it's, you know, it's all about your user. But I think maybe we have lost sight of that. I mean, you know, I love I love that, actually, that aspect of this sort of product design approach. That's my language, not your language. But in terms of if you were going to build a chair for somebody living with MS, you would have that person front and center. What are the materials? Where are the buttons? Do, do you know what I mean? Like that person would be front and center of your entire process. And for, you know, I don't work in, in, in agencies anymore or doing real jobs like our audience. But from what I can hear, the process of, you know, maybe where we were 15, 20 years ago from a creative perspective hasn't changed. You know, there's just less time and less money to do everything. So in an eight week project, strategy planning department will sit on something for six weeks and just spit out a brief that they've seen 20 years ago with the same insights. Nothing's different. Nothing's new. People are spouting out omni-channel <laughs> right and center. But for most creative people, it doesn't ch- it hasn't changed much in terms of what that actually really means. So I really love that. And it's kind of early on in your book as well about putting that person first. And you did say it was marketing 101, but maybe in the pharma space, we just need to remind ourselves that it's never been more important to have our end user in, in the beginning, in the middle, <laughs> and at the end as well. So I think that's really well done. I think it's something. It's something that a lot of businesses struggle with is, is, you know, when you're small, when you're a startup, it's very easy to be very close to your consumer and you basically you do that or you die. But as you scale and you get more departments, it gets more and more hard to actually sort of uh, communicate or get through. And even if we deal with corporations, actually, you know, speaking to a corporation on the phone when you've got real feedback about something is virtually impossible. And, and because we sort of draw up all these drawbridges through the way to sort of as we become a big corporate machine. And the marketer's job is to break down, break those down and just to get back and talk to people and listen to them. And you start with your, your customers, like who buys your stuff already? What do they think about you? What do they think about the competition? Once you've done that, you start to think about who are your potential customers? Who else could you go out to there? And it's, and it's just really sort of baking in that the, the initial phases of marketing, which is market orientation, market research, customer segmentation, you know, getting everyone to do that isn't it? You know, even setting up a WhatsApp group of your customers and sort of asking them questions and listening or doing some, you know, it's never been easy to get that information from people. And yet 
it's never been rarer that we actually act on it and do something about it. And I think that's one of the key things that we sort of always get people to do within the workshops, just go out and listen, see what they're saying on social, see what they're saying on online, and then reach out to the ones who seem quite interesting, interview them, see what you can find. And that's where, you know, true insights tend to come from rather than this idea of, you know, getting an insights agency and seeing what they come up with after hundreds of thousands of pounds and six months, you know, working on it. Yeah, I mean, startup world, um, one of the fir- my first job was at a startup and it's gone on to be a big corporate now, but we used to have meetings where you had a chair in the room and the chair was empty and it was all about the customer, the customer sat in the chair. And then when we did research, we, we didn't do six months research. We literally looked at analytics on a day-to-day basis because it was obviously a web platform. Um, and when we talked to consumers, we basically said, right, buy them a pizza and don't invite more people who can, <laughs> she said, I mean, one pizza is enough for four people or two people don't have it more than that. And the best, actually the best research actually comes from customer service emails. So we literally spent all day looking at customer service emails and that was the research. Because they tell you, right? They say, right, love this, but can you deliver it faster? Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Amazon, right? Yeah. So yeah. That's, where, <laughs> that's where Prime came from, right? <laughs> so you they've gone on a bigger business. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously, it's a corporate business now, but back then, and the CEOs still and the senior team still go into customer service and read the customer service emails. To this day, you said, I mean, because that's where the best research comes from. And that's a good segue because one of the bits that I wanted to pull out was um, the day in the life section that you had. Because again, it was like, you know, that should be in every brief, really. Do you know what I mean? Like that. And even those moments that you might kind of think from morning till afternoon till daytime, there might be moments in there that you might not even realize. You know, I, mean, I worked a little bit in Reckit in the e commerce uh, bit a couple of years ago. And there was this whole thing around surprise and delight. So even when you deliver something through the box, it's like, what are we doing above and beyond just delivering the product? Like, what's the unboxing experience? What's the surprise? Where's the delight? And that sort of then goes back into your feedback loop via the Amazon at all. So uh, uh, sort of anal on, right? Because they want, they want that. So I guess it's not just what I loved about it was, you know, obviously like this should be in every single brief, but also seeing the intangibles, like the, the, the pieces that creative people are really fantastic at doing of just seeing something fairly logical and then going, well, actually there's a bit over here that might kind of create something even better or more creative. So I just really love that. And I think as just as a discipline, again, because we're a creative platform, I'm, so I'm trying to relay this to more creatives who will be listening to this, no doubt. When you get this book, hopefully people who be ordering in, in millions after this recording, take a look at some of these pages and start understanding some of the breakdown of who it is that you're ultimately talking to, whether it's even going to speak to them, videoing the day in the life, like recording them, whatever it is. There are a, a million creative opportunities that will be unpicked from this book. And so just that day in the life, I just thought was wonderful because, again, I'm just going harking back to friends that I speak to on a weekly basis who are always moaning about really weak briefs, briefs that have got insights that are 15, 20 years old, 
nothing new. There's nothing that really brings in the new world to it. So I just think even if people could just take in, let's just re- let's just relook at the day in the life of our consumer today <laughs> and try and guess what that's going to be tomorrow. And I think within that, there will be some incredible opportunities for communications. Yeah, that's what IDEO do as well, right? They do that. That's their brief. They go out. They spend time. Who um, does that? IDEO. Oh, idea. Idea, do that day to day, right? And it's it's just normal. It's just a it's just the normal. I mean, we brought we brought personas and Dana lives into pharma. I think we were the first agency to do it back in the day, Shaheen. And it took time, right, for people to understand, and it makes sense. And you don't have to do too much research because there's lots of there's lots of um, career sites out there for doctors. And you can type in Google, den a life of a hematologist, den a life of an oncologist. And it gives you a quick overview and it shows you, right, and once you read the den a life, how much time do they have to look at adverts? But, but there's a day in the life of an individual and a profession, but there's also a day in the life of people that are attached to communities as well within a specific space. So I think that's what I found really interesting as well, because it's, you can have a hematologist, right? But there's a hematologist and there's a hematologist. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There are those that are going to be engaged in certain things that the other one isn't. But that's not to say that they won't be influenced by certain other hematologists who are more connected to broader communities. And I think that's where I really, I, it just sort of like, I was like, wow, this is this would be really helpful for many people in agencies just to digest this book and then make a bit of what they want and expand it to, to suit themselves, I guess. And one of one of the interesting projects that came out of one of the early boot camps that we did was, and this is pre-COVID, was you know people were commuting to work and what were they doing while they were commuting to work? Well, they're listening to audio because if they're driving a car, then they can't do anything else. So, so you know, we then started looking at um, podcasts as a potential uh, advertising medium, and then we thought about contact podcasts just for delivering content. And we actually created an internal podcast, which was just for new starters in the business. Let's tell them the story of the business, where we came from, the history, and and the, and and all of the sort of wonderful legacy of, you know, the, the brand heritage, effectively. And we created this internal sort of storytelling platform that allowed people, and then more and more people started using it. And actually, those internal stories became stories that we shared as part of our marketing outreach because people really liked them they weren't over brand heavy and they were quite interesting we started putting them out to a wider audience and it's quite interesting in that you know marketing doesn't always have to be about the way that we communicate externally it can be about bringing everyone on board internally with a certain idea and then the external marketing just becomes a reflection of what we're saying internally and that's what happens in a in an optimal situation where you've got sort of brand purpose and brand sort of you know a voice that aligns with what you know the internal culture of the business and it was an interesting you know sort of look obviously commuting to work is happening less now so maybe podcasts wouldn't be the specific medium you'd go through but just by going through that process of running the day in the life and identifying those moments that matter within the day then you know that became a really powerful exercise yeah amazing well I'm a massive advocate for podcasts so uh yes it's great uh and, okay, cool. So the day in the life, definitely recommend people buy the book just for that. Another bit that I thought was really great, uh, you've got a section on working with your agency. So do you want to maybe just touch on that a little bit? I saw that was your... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's... Uh, <laughs> obviously, I've sat both sides of the table, right? So that... So we could... And 
so we wrote that chapter and think it's the most important one of the most important right because if you're a brand manager how do you you want a partnership right it's not a master servant relationship um and i think that's happening a lot and people saying yes to a lot of things and as well so that that whole chapter is about and it's just a quick guide to how to write the brief how to um make sure they've got the right info the den alive the personas making sure they've hit what your actual strategy is do you see what i mean it's not like right go straight to because we there's a lot where everyone just goes straight to tactics yeah do you yeah. see what i mean so it's just like how do you manage it how do you manage them keep them informed as well on a weekly basis right so it's just simple simple tips to keep that relationship going as a good partnership but it, but it's also, have you done this thing before? Like this thing that you're saying you can do now, have you done it before? You know, you know. And what proof points do you have from that? What le- what learnings did you have? What, what went well? What didn't go well? Because you know, everyone says they can do all of these things, but just do they have hands-on experience? We don't necessarily want to be the trial case that helps you either work out you can do it or can't do it. And, and I think, you know, we've both worked in agencies. We're very good at presenting ourselves, but it's just getting under the skin of that and really addressing, okay, is this going to be? And sometimes we do do an experiment together where we say, you know what, we're both going to take a plunge on this one and we're both going to try something new. But you need to go into that with your eyes open, with the idea that we are both experimenting and we're not entirely sure what's going to happen next. And, that, you know, that that's when the relationship's good. If you're trying to sort of pull the wool over the client size or anything like that, that can be when it's a bit of a challenge. I, I didn't expect to see that section in there. And I thought it was really good. So again, it's another opportunity for agencies to even maybe give this book to some of their clients that might be fairly new to marketing. I mean, it was, again, like just to go back to the simplicity of the book, it's really quick read. It's almost like, I'm not going to, it's almost like an idiot's guide to marketing, but it's kind of like, and plus, things that you probably need to know that you probably don't know. (laughs) It's kind of like the official sort of um, the anti-bullshit guide to to digital strategy, I guess, which is what I really liked about it. I also found your success graph fairly funny as well, but we don't have to go too much into that. I don't want to give the whole book away, but I thought that was was really nice. That was really good. But we're all really good at post-rationalizing why things worked. It's it's our our behavior. As human beings, that's what we tend to do. (coughs) And actually, that's why... All of the advice that you see on, you know, social media about here's three things you can do to make sure this works. It's just nonsense. And 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 the way we learn is by doing these things. But again, it's going into it with open eyes of you can't copy other people. If you look at, you know, Elon Musk's biography versus someone else writing his biography, it's going to be very differently. You know, it's it's that sort of uh, what's it called cognitive bias that that sort of drives us all and it's it's, it's quite a sort of a, it's quite a powerful thing as a species but it's also quite a dangerous thing when we're trying to learn lessons for success i don't yeah as you said don't give too much away but i think the cool thing is there's um loads of tools in the chapters at the end of each chapter um there's songs as well you can listen to while yes, you carry on. i was going to get onto that as well so at the end at the end of every chapter there's a there's a sort of like a book list recommendations of other things to go and read but then you've also got a song list so i wanted to chat about what was that about <laughs> well it's all music's always been very I, I think it's pretty important to advise and I, I used to be a dj back in the day so basically i'm just yeah. I'm reliving some of those sort of uh, 
moments. And actually, in, in workshops, we use music a lot, uh, particularly online workshops. When we're doing those, it's a great way of sort of just helping people relax or energizing them at certain points. And then you start to realize there's quite a lot of puns around specific songs and email marketing or anything like that. So um, it was a chance for us to get some of our favorite sort of tracks from the workshops we created, but also sort of get them related to uh, in quite a humorous way to some of the sort of topics that we have. Um, so I think hopefully it's pretty good music, but there's often a sort of... Yeah, there's great tracks. Um, and you've got a Spotify playlist with all the songs from the book. Yes, yeah, so that's on the landing page. I'll send you the link for that. So so you can download the playlist as well and that gives you the the, the thing in order. So as you're listening to the book, you can I think I think that's the you shouldn't listen to it all the way through, but I think that's quite a nice thing about books where you have like it's sometimes about the context where you're reading them. You were out in the garden yesterday reading your book. Um you might be on holiday or something like that. And then sort of the music that you're listening to in the background, the food you're eating, all of those things are quite sort of uh, quite sort of totemic in many ways. I think the free tools as well is important, right? So there's tools for every chapter what to do. Like, for example, with um, the email section, there's a tool called Email Grader, um, Subject Email Grader. And we use that, I use that day-to-day with various marketing plans, um, emails and stuff as well. And it's just, basically, it just rates the the likelihood of how your email will be opened based on the subject line and it's a free tool right it's just nice and simple to test out yeah you can test true. it out on colleagues as well and the, you've got a bit right at the end with the jargon buster as well which was brilliant i thought i thought that was just really really smart thing to put in there i just think a lot of the issues we face particularly around even when you've got an amazing digital team in a business often they don't speak the language of everyone else and and they become quite siloed and they use their own sort of jargon their own acronyms and things like that and our job is to agree a common language across everything and agree we're not going to overuse a business jargon but particularly technology and sort of digital jargon because it just alienates people it scares them and it makes them feel in a fearful sort of way rather than a sort of positive uh, excited way which is how they should feel about technology we feel and 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 so i think just agreeing that sort of common language what do we mean by performance what do we mean about precision marketing what do we mean about big data all of those questions you know once we've agreed that in simple terms then that's half the battle you know once you can get everyone talking confidently from the leadership right down to entry-level people then you know you're far better set up for success than if you've got all of these strange acronyms you know with some businesses it takes about 12 to 18 months to actually work out what language they're using, what acronyms are specific to them, what they mean when they say this, what, all of those things. It, t- it does take a while and it takes us you know, time whenever we work with a new client. But one of the things we do have with every new client is we just have a, what's your language? Like give us a form of all the strange words that if you said to your mum or your grandmum, they wouldn't have an idea of what you're talking about. And when you do that, suddenly they go, oh, why do we use that term? And you get those all on a sheet and then everyone's in the same place. And if you have that for technology, then again, that works really well. Yeah, that's great. I, and I think, I mean, I learned a few words on there myself. So it's it just really helpful. So lastly, so we've got a couple of more questions to go. When you're building a digital and marketing farmer team, right? What are the key challenges do you think that they're going to encounter that your book will help them with? 
So I think there's some that are really specific to farmers. So, so obviously, regulatory compliance is a big issue for everyone, adverse event reporting, all of those things, and lots of questions around data and privacy. And, and, and the way that we tend to address those in the training is just running cross-functional workshops. So we get everyone from all the teams in the same room in the same place, and we just agree what's a common goal, what's an objective, a simple short-term objective that we can sort of go for, and how can we do that? And it may be speeding up approval from you know a month down to a week. That's step one that we can do. You know, so there's something simple we can do at the start. But once we've done that, then we sort of move through to more universal things that every marketer today faces around, you know, approval processes in every industry across agency through to client are, are incredibly tricky. Um, you know, so whether it's content approval, whether it's sort of keeping on top of new technologies and how they're going to influence what we do, all of these things are a big challenge for us. Um, but, you know, we think you know, running these workshops and, and, and running sort of uh, cross-functional sessions where you get people in the same room and just agree common goals, that's a really good way of starting. I think, yeah, I think the main thing for me is silos, right? It's, um, it's making sure compliance or medical who are signing everything off are in the room. Um, it's understanding, re- well, basically reading the book and making things all about the user making things simple because you've got so for example like with banners you've got let's take banners for example right you've got a small size of really small pixels to fit your message <laughs> your image <laughs> do you see what i mean then you've got the pi then you've got all like this is for hcp so there's literally 10 different slides on to a banner which just don't work do you see what i mean and people just won't click it um, so it's like bringing the right people in the room at the right time, going back to the basics and just, um, working out how to, if you fail, don't worry about failing. Do you see what I mean? If it, there's a massive worry about failing, right. And just flip it to test and learn, call it a test and learn process as well. And just don't tuck when you're doing something and this fits in with the agile. And I think the agile section is really good in the book as well is about um just doing a minimal viral product don't have to do a full campaign you don't have to do 130 page detail aid do you see what i mean it's <laughs> just um just do basics just do a few pages test it out see what works see what doesn't work use heat map tracking like hot jar um and just all come together bring the right people in the right room and iterate as you go along and that's where budgets comes in, right? Agile, mm. everyone, Agile's a buzzword, and you hear Agile probably 20 times a day now as well, along with Omnichannel. <laughs> but Agile came from tech companies. It came from tech companies that didn't have enough money to waste it on a full product. Do you see what I mean? The tech, mm. the startups can't do everything, chuck a 130-page brochure on a website and think it will work they test it as they they literally had a budget to do two pages test it and then go along that's where it came from yeah i think that was another really great part of the book as well for sort of as you said yeah you're right agile is one of those buzzwords but testing and learning is something that i think definitely pharma companies definitely need to get onto that boat 
again, I'll just go back to my days of Reckit when I went client side and when we were testing campaigns, we were turning around a campaign a week, right? On brands like Durex or Finish or whatever. And we would have about 72 hours to turn around from the value proposition to kind of the execution. And the reason why we did that was just testing and learning. So literally on a Monday, we would all get together. <laughs> we would just throw about 10 different value propositions and we might narrow it down to five or six, right? And then we do these things called smoke tests. I don't know if you've heard of them. And then you just, you basically create something very quick and dirty, if you like, on Instagram or TikTok, or whatever channel that you're in. And then you just post it out two or three days later for a 24 hour, 48 hour test. And each of those images with the value proposition would then take you to some dummy microsite, essentially. But at the end of that 48 hour period, we would then pull all those um, down and then we would just get the data and go, actually, it's that one. That's the one that got the most amount of clicks. That's the one that got the most amount of engagement. That's the one that got the most amount of people wanting to subscribe for more information, et cetera, et cetera. You've got your value proposition. Now go and execute it. Now you've got a day and a half to do it. And that testing and learning, it was moving at speed of light. But you compare that to the pharma model where it's like, okay, we're going to brief it. We're going to brief an agency now. The strategy is going to take three quarters of that time with just coming up with stuff. Creators are going to have like no time to do this idea. And this idea is now going to be stuck in market research for four to six months. And at the end of it, you're going to get a Frankenstein and everyone's going to be really unhappy with it. And it's just a kind of image with a headline. And now we're going to have to roll that image and a headline out on a bloody banner ad. And it's like, what are we? 1996, we're back to MySpace. Yeah. It's to it to a market that just doesn't care about yeah. what you're saying anymore because you, you've missed the the moment. One of one of the things we do in the some of the workshops we've worked on is is Pfizer and I basically get teams to write social and search ads and run those. And we run them over twenty-four hours and then we use that as a way of uh, testing and learning ideas. And it's a wonderful way of helping them get into data analytics and helping make sense of that. And of course, you're not going to base all of your strategy on that, but it gives you some. It gives you some data that's quite um, important. And and you know when we used to run, you know, sort of sometimes when you work with a client for the first time, you'll spend twelve to fifteen months creating a digital capability program, and then over time you speed that up and you say, right, let's just run the pilot. Let's just do a pilot in a month because time is a wonderful constraint and, and creativity comes out of constraints. And as you were saying, if you give people 24 hours, they're going to come up with something. It may not be perfect, but if they iterate that five times over a week, it's going to be a lot better than them just sitting in a quiet, dark room for six months. And so sort of getting, you know, learning through the process of creating these things, you know, training and capability all used to be about, you know, 12 months to develop this perfect, beautiful workshop that was rolled out to the entire organization. And actually, it's what happens after the workshop that's important. The yeah. workshop's there to highlight, you know, we need to change and here's some ideas that you can take on. But it's what we're going to do. How are you going to apply that? How are you as a team going to learn together how to create that thing or, or, or to create that sort of initiative, whatever it happens to be? So actually, you know, we tend to put way more emphasis into the post now than the actual workshop itself. It's still important. We need to win hearts and minds and change attitudes and all that good stuff. But how can we support people after the session? That's when, you know, behavior change happens, not in the two days that everyone's 
together and inspired and excited about whatever it happens to be. Yeah, and it, and it can be done. It can be done right. It's it needs. That's where the agency and the client just needs to come together and do a really good plan. Right? What can we? What's our six months? What's our six weeks sprint or month sprint? And let's line up the resources for that. It can. Do you say? I mean, I do it. I do it on my day to day work. We yeah. line up the right people on the right day to sign things off, and try to work with agencies to to push it through. Do you say? I mean, it's not like right. Send it. To, send it to strategy. Send it to creative. Send it to art working. Send it booking studio time, and then booking. Do you say? I mean, it's yeah. Plan it all. You can do it really quickly. Well, well, to that point, I think this is why this book is so valuable to so many people. To put, to, to, doesn't matter whether you're on strategy or not. This is almost kind of like gives a level of education and understanding, so people can start unlocking these creative opportunities. Because as you say, like it's like this hot potato factory. It's like we'll give it to accounts, and accounts give it to strategy, and then strategy give it to creative, and creative then go and give it to studio, and then it goes to artwork. And it's like, well, if you just understand the map of how this world operates which is essentially your book i think it will just make for, for just better work and happier people because they'll be spending less time on doing work that doesn't work so i really loved the, the testing and learning part of that which is a really good segue into emerging technologies now ai is everywhere at the moment and you know we are sort of accelerating into this future no one really knows what it's going to look like what emerging technologies or trends you see as really changing pharmaceutical marketing? Everyone's talking about AI. AI will take a few years to start implementing properly within our industry, right? That's, do you see what I mean? People are talking about it now, buzzwords, and there's a lot of snake oil salesmen trying to sell AI. <laughs> so just be, just, so we'd need a guide to AI as well at some point. Yeah. Um, but it's basically, but you have to look at things through an AI lens. So hey, how will AI help me write emails quicker and do the test and learn? How will it make me write content quicker, et cetera? How will it do the next best action in detailing when you're talking to customers? Do you see what I mean? And how will it make me, and personally, right? How will it make me write my PowerPoint quicker? <laughs> so that, But you look at it from an AI lens, but in the industry, a lot of companies, I mean, we've done a podcast on AI before, right? But a lot of companies are massively into it, massively doing stuff already in the R&D space and in clinical trials. Do you see what I mean? And that will start flowing to different departments. But that's sort of one trend, right? The, the other, not trends, but wishes is just thinking a bit more about sustainability as well. So when you're working with clients or you're working with agencies is how do we have a meeting on zoom to save carbon emissions right how do we stop those plane visits or if you're doing a if you're doing if you're a medical agency and you're working on a congress how do you get people to take the greenest route using google maps right and it's there google maps have got the greenest route so how do you inform hcps to do that little things like that we should start doing yeah, that's cool. Tim? Yeah, so I'd, obviously, yeah, there, there is a, we talk in the workshops a lot and we have in the book this section on the Gartner hype cycle. And it's a, it's a highly sort of contentious idea of whether it's useful and there's people who think it is and isn't. But, you know, most technologies go through 
a period of massive overhype, then a sort of period, a fallow period where it didn't quite deliver on what we expected. And then some of them die off and then some of them go on to great success and they influence and alter all of our lives. And I think it's, you know, this week is the 25th anniversary of Google, which is an amazing thing. Like just thinking about life pre and post Google for its good and bad ills and sort of benefits. It's, you know, I think it's given us access to phenomenal information in, I think, a way that's probably net positive. Um, and at the moment, we're all thinking about Gen AI, and, and that's because it can do really clever things, and we use it all the time. It's, it's, for me, it's like a very helpful and polite assistant that helps me sort of structure my thing, thinking and helps me you know, write better and, and, and comes up with sort of good ideas. But we all know some of the flaws with Gen AI is it's, it's also quite a good bullshit machine. And it can seem very convincing when it actually doesn't know what it's talking about. And so you do need a level of, uh, you know, just the ability to look at this is just an, another data source. It's another place that we can get information. But you know, if you look at Gen AI and the influence it can have on customer interactions and chatbots and virtual assistants. I think that's amazing. We were talking right at the start of today about, you know, how we've built these barriers between big organizations and the end user. And, and you know, chatbots, when badly used, which is a horrendous sort of customer experience. But actually, I don't necessarily want to speak to someone on the phone. If a chatbot can answer my questions, then that's far better for me. And we all have different you know, ways that we like to interact and different ways of learning. So I think the opportunity there is really, really interesting. And again, sort of them being able to develop and, and, and create their own sort of understand the brand, understand the product history, and be able to sort of customize their responses is, is absolutely, absolutely fascinating. So I think that's, you know, at the moment, you can't really see anything beyond it. And there's lots of naysayers who, you know, who will say it's not everything that you know, it's, it's not as exciting as everyone talks about, but I think it is transformation from transformational for most people in most roles. But at the same time, a lot of what we talk about in the book and what we talk about with other people is, you know, the fundamentals, the simple. You know, as marketers, we're way too excited about shiny new things and exciting new technologies, and and we jump onto them whether there's a role for our brand or not. And actually, you know, whenever these new platforms emerge, we think, you know, here's a new place for us to share our message when actually we should look at how are they using it? How can it benefit us communicating with them in a way that's appropriate and useful for them? The fact that there's 500 million people on one platform doesn't mean you should go there if there's no purpose, if you can't add any value to that platform because you'll just become, you know, hated and, and generally sort of resented uh, on there so a lot of what we talk about in the book is you know the basics around you know just writing a good social media policy so you know how and what to say in various places email marketing everyone hates it but it quite it's quite useful and some people prefer getting their information that way i'm not saying the new generations are going to prefer email marketing but it's you know i think yeah for me less focus on some of their very glitzy new exciting technologies, a bit more focus on just getting the foundations in place. If most of them thought about their content strategy and how they were optimizing for search 10 years ago, you'd be in a far better place today. So for me, that's that's the most important thing. But generate Gen AI, and we've got a, a workshop we've developed around helping creatives and marketers understand, you know, how to use Gen AI to improve your outputs and your 
customer research and all of that sort of good stuff that you know i don't think we can look beyond that so much at the moment that seems to be just this huge behemoth that's right in front of us we don't know what to do with it we're not quite sure how positive or how negative it is but for the time being just you know it's going to be transformational for many of us there's a massive amount of hype about it but it's quite useful i often take workshop outputs and i put them into one of the you know generative ai things and it it just polishes things and it makes them sound loads better and it makes them sound when i send them back to the clients they're like that was a super valuable day and you're like yeah that's here's your version here's the ai version let's go with that one for now and and so although it's going to take it a long time to integrate those things you know the teams that start to experiment with those ideas and build them into your you know your habits your daily habits whether it's you know using answer the public as a way of understanding the questions people are asking about your brand and your products that's amazing and we should do that all the time it's just that data's out there why wouldn't you bend down and pick it up um so so you know from a personal level just experiment with it and try it don't put any obviously secure company data on it or anything like that but there are platforms that are far more secure and sort of uh, you know IT sort of uh, friendly with, with with your company, but just start to experiment with some some of those things. I think that for me, if you're thinking about how to future proof and to maintain relevance, then that seems like the best place to start. Test and learn. Test and learn. This is just to help people. The book is basically all profits go to charity. Do you see what I mean? So yeah, which um, charity does it go to? Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's Society. Fantastic. Brilliant. Yeah. So again, I read it yesterday in the garden. It's very quick read. I love the simplicity of it. It's really well done. It's really well put together. I'd definitely say it's, uh, it is the comprehensive guide to digital strategy. Certainly if you're working in the pharma space, it's an ideal investment in yourself. I would have bought it if you hadn't given it to me for free, but I'll just purchase one anyway, just because I know it's your profits are going to uh, charity. For all the creatives out there, this is this is an invaluable investment in yourself. It will really help you get to, I believe, better briefs. Uh, it's a really fantastic guide to all the jargon and all the bullshit that you're probably hearing on calls and you've got no idea what's about. And it's an ideal gift to any any person in an ad agency and client side. And I guess it'll be just in time for Christmas as well. So congratulations. Uh, Tim and Faisal on co-authoring a brilliant book that will help many, many people, no doubt, and hopefully raise a lot of money uh, for a very worthy cause. Uh, thank you for helping me do my first book review of the year. Um, do come back on with the next one, whatever that is. Otherwise, yeah, thank you so much. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Shahid. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> cool. Is that all right? Yeah, perfect. Yeah, it's good. Good chat.